I guarantee you that God is a, He's happy. He's proud of that song that we just sang for Him right there. And that was beautiful. Even the angels are rejoicing on that one. I guarantee it. And I want to paint you a little picture real quick of what it's going to look like one day when we get to heaven. It says there's no need for no sun. There's no need for no light, right? Because there's going to be one sun there, right? The S-O-N. And His, and his glory is going to radiate and be the only light that we need, amen? We're going to be able to stand there and it will fall flat on our face and worship Him. And if we earn any crowns, what are we going to do with them? We're going to throw them right back at His feet, right? And we're going to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're think about that day. Let's keep our eyes fixed on heaven towards the eternal glory, what He has for us, right? Where there's no more pain, no more hurt, no more sorrow, heartbreak, addictions, lying, cheating, sin. There's no more, none of that stuff. It's gone. And we'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. Amen. Let me pray for us real quick. So, Lord, we, <laughs> we pray that you'd split open the skies right now and take us home, Lord. To live as Christ and to die as gain. So, Lord, we just pray your will, not, not our will, would be done. That, God, you would come, that you would come soon. Maranatha, God, would you come? So, Lord, we pray that tonight you'd get me smooth up out of the way. This is a testimony that you... Uh, it's, this is really your testimony. It's like that Big Daddy Weave song. To tell you of my story, I'd have to tell you of him. Because it's all your story. History is his story. And Lord, we just, we praise you. We praise your name tonight for what, for what, what you've done for all of us. Because the fact of the matter is, it, it doesn't matter how deep or dark my sin was or my life was in the past. We were all set free. As long as we're under the blood of Jesus Christ, we're all set free by the same blood, by the same grace. And it didn't take an extra amount for any of us, Lord. It's the same Jesus that died on the cross for our sins. So, Lord, we, we just ask, like I said, that you'd get me out of the way, that I would exalt you in this story. And, Father, that you might open hearts and open eyes, open ears, that people could see and understand and taste and see how good you are. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, I kind of, man, I struggle sometimes with uh, testimony because I really want to make a lot about Jesus and less about me. So I hope that I can do that. Okay, yeah, we can do that. I'll, I'll wear this thing out, Clayton. It'll wear you out. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> okay. Like I said, I want to make a lot about him and less about me. So I just kind of want you guys to know this, that everyone has a story, you know, and it, it's being written every single day, but it's what you choose to do with that story that matters, right? Every one of you has got a story out there. We all have hurts. We all have resentments. We all got uh, regrets and we've all got struggles. We all have sin in our life that we have lived through or that we've lived out. And let me tell you something today. Until you get real with the sin that is in your life, until we get real with the sin that is in our lives, there is no freedom, right? And it's only until we get real with our sin, until God shows us just how broken, how rejected, how evil how twisted, how lost that we are, we have no need for a Savior. Right. It's only when we realize the weight of our sin. It's only when we realize the weight of our sin that it's revealed to us that we understand that we need a Savior, right? We've got to realize that our ship is sinking and it's going down quick, right? And Christian, until you get real with your sin, until you get real with the sin that was carried out against you and ultimately God, We'll only know freedom in a small, very small context. So you have a story. Everyone in the out there have a story. 
And you need to write it, okay? There's people in your life that hurt you. I know that. There's people in your life that you need to forgive individually and that you need to forgive collectively and stop allowing unforgiveness and resentment to weigh you down, okay? The devil would love to hold each and every single one of us captive in unforgiveness and in resentment. That's exactly where he wants us, right? But I got a promise for us in Revelation. But by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, you will overcome him. We will overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? So it's your story. Don't be scared of it, okay? Speak it out. Write it down. Get real. Put it out there. No matter what you've done, wash it under the blood of Jesus. No matter what anybody else has ever done to you, you wash it under that same blood, okay? And, and, and forgive them as he forgave you in Christ Jesus. Speak it out. Write it down. Get it out there. Experience freedom offered through forgiveness and confession. So it's your story, guys. And let me tell you a little bit about mine. I'm nothing great, but God, God uh, saved a wretch like me. And I'll just, I'll just say it right off the front here. I'm an 11-time convicted felon. I've been to prison three times. I'm 28 years old, okay? I've spent my whole life, it seemed like, in jails, institutions, or death. My Uncle Mike said this one time. He said, I've spent my whole life in prison. He said, just the only difference was in the dope house. I could leave, and I chose to stay locked up in there. And that was my whole entire life, too, from this time as I was knee-high to a grasshopper. So I want you guys to know this, that sin and that Satan... Uh, it wrecked me before, I don't need to say that wrong. Sin and Satan wrecked me through divorce. It wrecked my family before I even had a chance to experience what a true family was like, right? So my dad was an alcoholic. He's drank my whole entire life. Um, he just now kind of started really letting up as he retired in Arizona. Uh, but I can remember my dad drinking half gallons of, of whiskey every two days and cases of beer and just putting them down. And as soon as he'd come home, he would sit down in his chair. He had this ugly... Ugly wood frame chair, man. He would sit down and, and that's where he would drink at every single night. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, she was, uh, she was gone a lot. I didn't understand where my mama was. She was high, um, smoking weed or whatever drugs else she was doing. And I, and I can't tell you how many different stepdads that I had growing up. How many different boyfriends that she had as I was growing up. How many different people that I would stay at, you know. And, and I'm not putting my mama down. I got the most love and respect for her. But that's the truth, okay. Uh, and, and just so you guys know, this will be the first time that I ever get to share my story in public. And actually, like, I, I'm going to put it on our podcast that we have so my dad and my mama can listen to it. It's the first time that they've ever experienced it in this context, okay? So I, I pray that something powerful will happen in that even too, okay? But my first memory, I can remember sitting. Uh, we had this, this old apartment complex, and I was sitting on my knees on the couch. And I was probably standing whatever. I was a little guy. I was like four or whatever. So I'm looking out the window like this, and i got my brother calling here who's my my, my mom's kid, not my dad's kid, but my mom's kid. And I could see my dad talking to my mama outside, and there's, my mom's in a car, and my dad's talking to her, and they're kind of arguing or whatever. But what I couldn't understand is why I couldn't go out there and go to my mom. I didn't understand why I couldn't go see my mom, why, why I had to stay inside here with my brother at my dad's house. I knew that was my mom, and I just didn't know why I couldn't go with her. I wanted to see my mom, right? But I couldn't go, and I didn't understand what was going on. So my entire life has been marred and scarred by these custody battles that I went through. Divorce. It's an ugly thing. It's not what God designed, right? And we'll get to that here in a little bit. But uh, everything that I ever owned could fit in grocery sacks, okay? I could fit two grocery sacks, or all my stuff in two grocery sacks, these clothes, and I would go back from my mom's house to my dad's house, from my dad's house to my mom's house, back and forth, back and forth. I had two toothbrushes, 
Uh, I had, when I got older, I had two sticks of deodorant. I had two of everything, two Christmases, two of whatever, my whole entire life. And I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And some people would say, that's great. You got twice the presents, right? No, I got twice the heartache, right? I was stuck in the middle of this love triangle of manipulation and war because it was nothing great. All that they had, I don't know if they ever really thought about what I felt, what, what I was going through. I think it was a pride thing between the two. They wanted to see who would win the battle, who would win the custody, right? And I do know this, that he did the best that he could with what he battled in sin and, and, and the devil. My mom did the same, the best that she could with what she battled with sin and the devil. Like I said, my brother Colin had lived with me uh, and he was my mom's kid. So it goes to show you kind of maybe where my mom, where my mom was in life. That wasn't even my daddy's kid. That was my mom's kid. And he stayed with us. And, and my mom was gone. And we couldn't see her for a long time. So my dad was, like I said, he was an alcoholic. And he was pretty violent to my brother. Not that he would beat the snot out of him or anything like that. But I can remember little things. Like we would be eating chili. My brother's super picky eater. He's still picky to this day, man. It's, it's hilarious. So... Anyways, he had tomatoes in the chili. Everybody knows he put tomatoes in the chili. But they were big chunks, and my brother doesn't eat those big chunks. And he knows, everybody knows that. But I guess my dad had had enough that night, and I can remember him t- dragging my brother out the back of that chair and running him through that door, through the closed door in, in, this, in this house that we lived through. You know, ripping cabinets off in anger and getting mad and stuff to the point that my brother finally left that house and moved in with my mom. He always took the brunt end of it. He always got my dad to jump on him and, and to threaten to beat him and to put the whooping on him and to do all those things. It was always my brother that, that, that got the brunt end of it. You know, he was, he was pretty short-tempered to us. He was very manipulative. He was very angry with us. Uh, it, it was a terrible life. We, I can remember living in a house down by the Columbia River in Washington State. That's where I'm from, Wenatchee, Washington. And the house that we lived in, the toilets didn't work. They would back up into the bathtub, and they would back up into the sinks, and it was gross. I can remember me and my cousin, we'd have to scoop out the, the feces with a kitty litter scooper. And I don't know why my daddy didn't ever fix it. He, can, he would pour stuff down the toilet, you know, lie and all those things, and, but he would never ever fix it. So that's the kind of life that we lived. That's where we lived at. So I didn't have no friends come over. I was embarrassed to have anybody ever come over to my house. So it, always, it was always me and my skateboard or, or whatever, and I would run out, and I'd go hang out with all my friends. It's way late at night doing things you know I shouldn't have been doing. We'll get to some of those soon. But the first addiction in my life was pornography, and I'll be real. We're all adults in here, right? Um, but it started when I was, I was little. It was in that same apartment that I had my first memory in, and it wasn't with pornography. It was there was this girl that was a lot older than I, I say a lot older. She was probably four or five years older than me, and I was a little boy, probably four or five and we were under the covers together, and she got me to take my clothes off. And, and I don't think anything ever happened, but my dad caught us and underneath the covers there together playing house as, I, as she makes me lay on top of her. And nobody ever scolded me for that. Nobody ever told me that that was wrong. Nobody ever said, don't do that, son. What are you doing? I don't ever remember any of those conversations. So I don't know if that's what started this or what, but I can remember going into my dad's room around eight years old and looking underneath his bed like a lot of us did, right, and finding pornography. And I would, I would use it, is what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say watch it, but I would use it almost daily, sometimes multiple times a day until I was 18 years old. It was an everyday thing, just about. And the only reason that I stopped was because I started to go to prison, and it wasn't as readily available all the time, right? So by 12 and by 13, started drinking, started smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, chewing tobacco, whatever. Um, you know, I, I, even as far as doing mushrooms and acid and... and um, and, and taking pills and snorting pills and stuff like that at 12 or 13 years old. I had all the rain in the world. Anything I wanted to do, I could do it, you know? And like I said, I'm in the middle of this, um, this love triangle, this custody battle with my parents. And my dad told me 
uh, well, my dad just kind of started getting out of control again. And my mom was getting ready to move to Missouri with my aunt. Move down to Salem, Missouri is where I'm from. And uh, she was getting ready to move down there. And I can remember at age 14 sitting in my bedroom. And I looked my dad in the eyes and I said, I don't want to live with you anymore. And it was like the first time I ever actually saw my dad break and start crying. He knew he blew it, right? Why wouldn't I want to live with you? He did the best he could. He took me hunting. He took me fishing. He did all those things with me. But he was my best friend. He used to say, I'm not going to be your dad. I'm going to be your friend. And that's the worst thing you could ever say. You know, it really is. I need a daddy. I need somebody that's going to bust my butt, you know. I need somebody who ain't going to spare the rod. And Lord knows he should have spared. He should have took it out a lot more than he did, right? But I can remember him crying. So my mom moved us to Missouri. And I moved down to, uh, I don't know if y'all know what a Missouri Foxtrotter is. You guys ride horses, right? The best horse in the world. Sorry if you like poor horses, right? But I'm new. I moved to Missouri with my aunt and my uncle. And uh, so we had a double-wide trailer that we stayed in, a modular home or whatever. It was a nice little modular home. But there was my aunt, kind of look at me, my aunt, my uncle, my cousin Morgan, Marcus, uh, Matthew, Monica, my mom, my brother Colin, myself, and his wife, all in a modular home. There's 10 of us in there. It was tight. You know, two, ba- two bathrooms, one, two, three bedrooms. We wasn't all fitting in there, right? So tensions were high. It was a bad, it was a bad, uh, it was a bad time in my life too. But I got to learn how to work the farm. I moved down, down there when I was 14. So I got to learn how to work the farm and ride horses and break horses and hang out with my cousin. And we, we run around like good little country boys and we chew tobacco. We wreck my truck. We'd shoot turkeys and we do all those fun things, right? All totally illegal. They're not fun anymore, but they was when I was a kid, right? And so, in all of that mess, and all of that, I wasn't ever really good, but I stopped using drugs, right, until I was 16. And it's when I met my best friend um, that I started smoking weed again, and I started snorting pills. And I can remember, we would buy these Percocets, and we would ride around all night long, and we would snort Percocets. I mean, they were big pills, and we'd snort them all night long until our noses would clog up, and we'd pass out, driving down the road. 16 years old. My life got out of control real bad, like... Like, I remember getting sick when I didn't have pills, angry. I had a girlfriend at the time, and I would take her car, and I would take her money, and I would manipulate her, just like my, I watched my dad do a lot, it seemed like, you know. She didn't deserve any of that stuff, and I was very mean to her and to a lot of other people in my life all over this pill addiction, all over all these things that I was doing. So my mom actually got a boyfriend, and he just got out of prison. He was 33, and I was... Like I said, 16. She just got this boyfriend, and, and uh, he started smoking weed. He, 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 he gets into with my mama and, and, and says, like, hey, it's okay for Tanner to smoke weed as long as he smokes weed with us, okay? Just don't bag on him anymore. It's going to be all right. So my mom and him and me, we're all smoking weed together and doing stuff together, so that opens the door. Well, I come home from school one time. I was still in school at the time, and I let my friend Cody drive my truck, and it was his dad's house that was right down at the bottom of the hill. And I walked home from school. Salem's just a little 3,000-person town. Walked down to the house or whatever. I say the home, whatever, but it's Cody's dad's house. It's a little trap house. All night long, like, that's all they're doing is drinking, and they're partying. And we're 16-year-old boys running around with all these 30-, 40-year-old guys that are drinking and partying and, and smoking weed and using other drugs and stuff. And that day that I come down from school, I didn't know what I was walking into when I walked in that front door and it ruined my life forever. I walked in that house and there was nobody around. And, and in this living room is usually where they sat with around this big kitchen table. Nobody was there. But I could hear them in the back bedroom. And I'm like, that's super strange that they're back there. Why are they hiding, right? Anything that you got to hide is a sin, you know? So I walk back there and I look and they're smoking methamphetamines back there. And I can remember that man looking back at me and saying, if you tell your mom I'm going to kill you, this ain't something she's going to be cool with. But do you want to hit? So I remember smoking methamphetamine off a of foil when I was 16. 
I continued to use it. And by the time I was later in my 16, uh, almost 17 years old, I was injecting it in my arm multiple times a day, as much as I wanted to, track marks everywhere. I'd hang out with other girls and I would ruin their lives as well. And I would get them high with the needle, um, take everything they own. I was a terrible person, dark, rotten person. So at, at 17 years old, I'm riding around in a truck with, with my, my mom's uh, boyfriend and my, my best friend and this girl that I, I'm ruining her life. And she says, I'm mad at my parents. Do you want to go steal their stuff? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we jumped in the truck and we went and we went and stole their stuff. We took a whole truck full of uh, four-wheelers and all her, th- all her parents' things. And, uh, and that's how we caught our first case. We dropped her off at home and she went and told on us. Her dad come and beat us up and then called the cops on us. Rightfully so, right? We needed to probably be whooped, right? But uh, so I went to jail at 17 years old. The first time I, I'd ever been or anything, and I knew it was well on my way. Uh, I got out on bond under the stipulation that I, I had to graduate high school. So I, I'm 17 years old, uh, turning 18, and Missouri's options program, where all the bad kids are back there in this room over here, and we got a test and all this stuff, right? And I graduated high school on bond while I was facing three felonies at 17 years old, 18 years old. Uh, and that was May 2012. And, 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 and by October, I, I had got caught with my first meth lab. So I didn't, I didn't change just because I, I graduated high school or anything like that. But I got caught with a meth lab, cooking methamphetamines, and I was in prison by the time I was 19. And when I got to prison, something particular happened to me that I thought – I really thought I was living it out. But I made a profession of faith. You know, I, 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 I asked Jesus, I hate this phrase, I asked Jesus into my heart, right? But there was no change of heart. I continued to look at pornography. So what I said a prayer, so what I would read the Proverbs one day, you know, whatever, that, that correlating number each and every single day. But there was no change in my life. That was the first time I went to prison. I got out and I went back home to Washington State. Um, and it didn't take me very long, about nine, ten months later. I was, well, about seven months later, I was back in jail again. And nine or ten months later, I was back on the run and back in prison. So at 21, I was back, back in prison again with a whole other slew of cases. And I spent two years of my life in there that time at, at age 21 to 23. Uh, and during that time, I got worse than I had ever been, I think, in my drug addiction, even in prison. My mom would send me money, and I would go and buy K2 with it and whatever, and I would smoke it all up. And I would call her back, and I would say, Mom, I need more money. And I would trick her and manipulate her and tell her that she needed to send me money or else this person would beat me up. And uh, she told me one time, she said, well, you better learn how to fight then. <laughs> so uh, that's just kind of, I, I still laugh about that. It's not that funny, but I did. I thought it was kind of funny. But so uh, I, I didn't get any better. So just because you go to prison doesn't mean you're going to get rehabilitated, right? Just because you go to prison don't mean you're going to come out any better. A lot of times you go to prison, you come out with a whole slew of connections. You come out a whole different, darker person, right? It's at this point in my life that I started to really see racism in action, racism, and, and I started to join a, a gang. I started hanging out with a, these people called the Southwest Honkies, and, and I started to, started to prospect for them. We were white guys, and we hated black people. We hated anybody that was a different color than us, uh, so I thought. And, th- and you, this would be really funny when you hear my testimony here in a minute about when I get saved, how this all went down. Um, and so we did. we did. We hated anybody that wasn't like us. Um, and so I started hanging out with them, and, and that's really when I got my taste for these people. But at age 23, I got released, and I, had, was, I was determined that I was going to make something out of my life, that I wasn't going to keep going back to prison. I didn't, I didn't have a Jesus idea at this time. I done, took the Jesus that I met when I was 19 in prison the first time, and I bought him up in a lump, and I threw him away. Like I didn't, I was at this point in time. I'm pretty much just a, a pagan. You know what I mean? I'm just an atheist at this point in time. Like I don't even believe in God. 
uh, is what I like to try to think, right? So I go to welding school. I have this great big plan that, that I'm going to go to welding school. I'm going to build my life. I'm going to get a farm. I'm going to put my mom up on a farm. We're going to do all this great stuff, right? Um, I go to welding school. I graduate at the top of my class. I work the hardest that I've ever worked my entire life. Um, they made me student of the month. All these great things that happened. Um, I, I graduated welding school and... Uh, I got a sweet job in Lyons, Kansas, working at an ethanol plant, right? And I'm a felon at this point in time, like six or seven felonies. And I, and I didn't think I could work at an ethanol plant, but, but I got this job. So my mom gave me $1,000 to go. She took it out of student loan. She gave me $1,000 to go start my life with. She said, go pay me back when you get paid, right? I'm about to make a bunch of money. So absolutely, I'll do that. I didn't leave Salem by the time I already blew all that money and I was already spun out high. I blew all my mom's money. I made it to Lebanon, Missouri, and, and I stayed there for about a week. And I end up going back home to my mom's couch and falling asleep on the couch. She, I remember her waking me up. She said, where's that money at? I said, I spent it. You know? Well, actually, I lied to her. I said that I used it because it, I had my truck in the shop and it broke down and all this stuff. And she already knew what happened, right? So it wasn't much long after that. Um, this was September that I'd done all that stuff. Um, that I met a lady that I've, I've known for a long time. But uh, she kind of reappeared in my life. And her name was Rose. And I call her Granny. And she got me my first Bible. Right? She worked at a bank, and I remember the very first one that I got, she sent me through the bank teller thing or whatever, and, and I got that Bible, right? And, uh, and she invited me over to her house. This is October of 2018, 2017. She invites me over to her house for a hayride, and I'm like, I'm not going out there. If there ain't beer or girls, I'm not going out to this hayride. I don't know what you want me to come out there for, ma'am, you know? So uh, anyways, God was working, and I didn't even know it, right? Like, and so he's like... He obviously didn't tell me this uh, verbally or anything, but it was like I had a strong feeling in my heart, a tug, that I need to go to Walmart and buy some, some chips and go out there. So I bought some chips, I got in my truck, and I went out there to this dang bonfire. And when I, <laughs> and when I get out there, I got these chips. Like, I'm not sociable like this. I have no idea what I'm doing here. You know, this ain't my crowd or my scene. So I carry these chips up to the porch, and she meets me outside, and she's got a whole bag full of stuff, stuff that I would treasure right now in my life. She's got me a coffee cup with the Lord's Prayer on it. She's got me these Bible tracks, these DVDs to help me grow. She's got me a Bible that I can understand that's in plain language. She's got me um, like some booklets and little little mini commentaries and all this stuff. Like she wants to see me. Uh, she wants to see me get saved. She wants to see me see Jesus change my life. And so I'm like, oh, sweet, cool. So I just throw this stuff in my truck, right? And, and I meet her husband. He's got this. It was a sweet little place and down in the holler. He's got all these cows. And I asked him. I said, how'd you get all this stuff? He said, God's good to me. You know, all I try to do is just be obedient to the Lord, and this is what he's provided me with. Not some prosperity gospel or anything like that. It wasn't what, it was, what he was preaching to me. But I, and I, so he started to work with me and kind of disciple me here and there. And like I said, this was October. I went home, and I threw that Bible up there on my bedstand, and I didn't look at it again. But Thanksgiving, November, Thanksgiving, I got high again for one of my first times since I'd been out, you know. Went to Thanksgiving all high, and I spent from Thanksgiving to, to January 3rd on the run, spun out. And, and, and from Thanksgiving to January 3rd, I went from about 185 pounds to 160. I was skin and bones. I looked like a skeleton. I hadn't eaten in days. Um, I, I thought I was dying, really. That's all before Christ. And on January 3rd of 2018, I, was, I stole gas from Osceola, Missouri, and I made it to Collins, Missouri, and they arrested me. There we got in a high-speed chase, and I wrecked my truck. I totaled it, and they took me to jail. And I woke up the next morning, and they said, Devereaux, bunk and junk, which means get your stuff and let's go. So I'm thinking, well, the other county's here to get me because nobody likes me enough to bond me out, right? And I got, I'm on parole, so I'm going to prison. 
So this, they, what they were doing was sending me right back to prison right away. So here I am, and I had a whole truck full of stolen stuff. Here I am at 23 years old, going back to prison for my third time, looking at Lord knows how many years and how many more felonies that I have. And in this transportation van, this guy looks at me and he says, what do you know about Jesus? And I'm broke, dude. And it was like then that God started to show me the weight of my sin, the depravity of my heart, that I'm no good. And I can remember specifically saying, uh, here I am again, 23 years old, going back one more time. I can never do it right. No matter how hard I try, I can't get this right. I didn't know what I was going to run into when I got to Fulton. But about after a week of being there, this guy, this guy remember how I said I was racist? This guy comes in and he's got this huge afro. He's this great big old black dude named Paul Cho. And I can say that about him because he's my best friend in the whole world. He's got this big afro and I'm like looking at him. And remember, I'm still trying to prospect for this gang, right? And I'm like, look at it. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to your bed. And I'm like, oh gosh, here we go, you know? And uh, so he sits down with me and, and, and I tell him about myself. I said, you know, I, I'll prospect for Southwest. And he's like, so do I. And I'm like, you can't do that. You're black, you know? And he said, come look at my books. And we went and looked at his books and he pulled it up and all my friends were sending him money because he was friends. He was from Springfield. He knew all my friends, you know? And so we kind of opened this door, this weird door. And he handed me some pieces of paper, much like these that I have here today. And it had the best words I'd ever read in my entire life on them. And it went just like this. There's none righteous now, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's me. That's me. No one seeks after God. I, I, I'm not seeking after you. mean God? Nobody does. Nobody's looking for you. We've all turned aside. Nobody's understanding. We've all become useless. The poison of aspis is under my tongue. I, my feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in my path. That's me. That's who you're talking about is me. I'm a sinner. The first place we got to come to, right? Yes. I'm a sinner. Amen. And then in verse 23, 323 in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm like, everybody... Not just me. And we keep going and I get to this most beautiful, magical verse in the whole entire Bible from what I think. Romans 5, 8. But God, right? What do I do with all this stuff that I'm a sinner? I'm dirty, rotten. What do I do? But God. Thank God for the buts in the Bible, right? But God demonstrates his own love. It's ongoing. It's not he demonstrated it, but he demonstrates it. He demonstrates his own love for us, towards us, that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm like, Jesus died for me. That guy in Romans 3.10 through 23, he died for me. I get to Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I said, that's great, Lord. What do I do with that? And I get to Romans 10 verses 9 and, and, and 10. And I see that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I get to, to 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. My life ain't never been the same since that day, right? Amen. And I can remember as they transferred me from, from, 
you get to Fulton, uh, Fulton Diagnostic Center, when you get there, you go from one, one housing unit to the other side of the hill to, as you're getting processed and you're working through and all this stuff. They were transferring me, transferring me that day. And me and Paul were about a week apart, so we weren't moving at the same time, and I was scared to death. Because I said, I don't want to go over there. I want to stay with you, Paul. You're teaching me everything. I want to stay here. He said, let's pray. And this is t- he taught me something about prayer that day. And I, thank you, Lord, for showing me because I need this in my life because my prayer life sucks right now. I'll be real. He said, let's pray. So we prayed. He said, God, I pray that you would always put somebody in Tanner's life to show him the way. God, I pray that you would always put somebody in Tanner's life to show him the way. And I didn't know then, but we were praying for discipleship. I had no idea what discipleship was. And you want to know what's funny? Is that I get to the next cell or the next housing unit over my neighbor leads a Bible study, right? And, and then I get, I get to the chapel for the first time I've ever been to church. And this guy named Bob Shanks wants to raise me up in the word. And he writes all these different Bible lessons or Bible studies on the Bible. And I, and I go through six months of seminary all by myself. And God gives me one little bunk bed over here in the corner all by myself. Peace and quiet. And I get to sit there and just read the Bible and pray. And then when I get to OCC at Ozark Correctional Center, he gave me a chaplain who always kept the door open and said, any question you ever have, come and ask me. And then I go from there before I even leave. He gives me her Uncle Mike who teaches me how to work on, on buildings and how to be a Christian out in the streets. He gives me men like John Stroop and, and he gives me men like Rick Lechner as I move up to Omaha, Nebraska and we plant this church. And, and he's put a man everywhere, every step of the way in my life. And he's been true to that prayer since I prayed it, right? So if, if you're struggling now, I invite you to pray that prayer. Lord, put a man, put a woman in my life that would show me the way. Help me because I don't know how to do this. And I know you have somebody that's just one step ahead of me that wants to help me, Right? And so what was cool, though, during that time, and, I, and I've got to try to hurry up here. I'm sorry I'm running a little long, but I didn't think I was actually going to have enough. But was, uh, what was really cool is that God has always placed an opportunity since I got saved. The moment, And I look at it like Paul. Not that I'm an apostle or anything, okay? But when Paul got saved, it says immediately he went and did this, right? Immediately he went and preached. I got saved, and it was like immediately he opened the door to this, right? And so, and, and I'm telling you, I'm in a pod of... I'm guessing maybe 50 men or something like that. I'm in this jailhouse, and I'm on the top bunk over here in the corner. And at the, end of, at the end of the night, when they're about to turn the lights off, everybody would just get quiet, and they would listen to me as I opened the Bible and I read. Every man in that place would be quiet. You don't know, man, that, like, that's a, the power of, of the Lord. And I would try to explain the best I could what these passages said, and I'm so glad that nobody recorded it because I might have been a mile off, right? But I read it, man, and they listened, and I prayed over them. And the people prayed and we started stuff there. We had a prayer circle. We had Bible studies. He, always, he has always given me an opportunity for a pulpit somewhere in some shape or form. God called me to be a preacher then. Amen. And as I was looking at 35 years is what they wanted to give me, right? I'm 23 years old. I just get saved. I'm looking at 35 years in prison. They want to give me five sevens run consecutive. So seven, 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 seven. And they're not coming off of it. This is my bazillion time in front of this judge. And I'm in trouble big time. I go to jail, I go, I go from, from prison to jail, and, and I'm praying, Lord, would you help me? I'm not walking exactly like I should be right now as my old gang is kind of coming back like they moved into my pod and stuff. And I'm trying to think that I can gangbang and at the same time praise Jesus and it's not working. And I can remember crying out to the Lord in the bathroom, Lord, help me because right now I'm going to choose them and I need you to help me be powerful over them, Lord. And I go to prison, I go to jail. While I'm there, I'm preaching the word and this is the most... Uh, embarrassing time in my walk. I go to jail. I preach the word to people. I'm telling them about Jesus. I'm not living right exactly. Somebody brings in some methamphetamines and I do it again. 
It was the last time I ever done meth, though, but that was, it. That was in April of 2018. I had done meth. I went back, and in this, let me say this, in this, I went from getting 35 years to 15 years in a year-long treatment in, in OCC. So they gave me one last chance. You do this year-long treatment, and you'll get out, and you have 15 years hanging over your head, Tanner. It's a rope, brother, and we expect you to hang yourself with it. And so that way, when you get hung, you can go back to prison for the rest of your life where you belong. It's basically what they're saying. Uh, so I go back to prison after this. I'm drinking hooch drinking wine which is wine y'all don't probably know that but it's wine right that we make in prison and if this was may of 2018 this month and it was the very last time that i ever touched drugs or alcohol i was convicted with this overwhelming sense of conviction and that i was hanging out with these guys i shouldn't be hanging out with the same people that god delivered me from in my past and the same stuff he delivered me from before i i i'm using it again i'm not glorifying you help me lord and it was like that it was over i haven't struggled with it since I've never done it again. So that's four years that I've not touched a single drug or alcohol, right? Thank you, Lord. That's him. And so I get transferred to Ozark Correctional Center, and God is gracious, and he gives me a position to be a Christian general representative, which means I'm, I'm the head over all of these other denominations in the prison. So I, I have to facilitate things. I have to set up events, make orders, um, talk to other Christians, and set things up. And in that, me and my brothers, Paul Chode ends up getting transferred to OCC. I see him walking down the walk the same way that I seen him the first time with this great big old afro. If you ever see Paul Chode, ask him why every time he travels somewhere he got a big old afro. Why don't he put it in some cornrows or something? So he, he's walking to me, and I'm like, dude, I see him. And I'm like, Paul, I'm still living for the Lord. And he's like, I'm not. Right now, I'm hurt and I'm struggling. The same place that I was. So when Paul met me, I was, I was just coming to Christ, right? He just he gave me the Romans road and I got saved. And when, I, when Paul saw me the second time, his little disciple, I got to encourage him and bring him back up from the mud, right? Through the grace of God, amen. So it was a great thing. But all of us men there was like Matt Black, who's my brother-in-law now, and, and Paul Chode and Sean Stegman and a bunch of other men. We pretty much planted a church in this little chapel, and we sent little people out, and they would, and they would pretty much evangelize. And, and it was nothing short of a miracle because the, the little chapel that we had was a single wide trailer. And it would be opened up, and on a Friday night, there would be 80 guys in there praising the Lord and singing. Gang members from my old gang crying at the altar and, and breaking down and crying tears, asking us to pray for them, right? So God done some amazing things. That's where John Stroop accepted me into Freeway Ministries. Um, um, that's where I, I realized that I had freedom, right? I, I, I worked out a moral image where I wrote a bunch of stuff down, and, and, I, and I said, Lord, forgive me for this and for this and for this. I knew it was washed on our blood, but I had to get real with it with myself and somebody else. These secrets couldn't hold me down no more. All the things that I kept bottled up inside, things that I never thought I would ever tell anybody, I wrote it down on paper. I went to my best friend, Matt Black, and I said, listen to this. And I told him, I confessed all these sins and put them out there in the open. And a lot of those things, he said, I did that too. I did that too. So whatever you're struggling with, it's nothing strange. We're all struggling probably with the same thing, guys. And I experienced then that I had real freedom. Between under the gun and behind the razor wire, I had freedom in Christ. I met Uncle Mike. He gave me a job. Um, I go to Crossway. I go to Freeway. And God used this avenue to show me my beautiful wife, Naomi. And she was wearing a blue dress. She had dark brown hair with yellow highlights, with blonde highlights. Whatever. You know, I suck at colors. So, and, and I looked at her. And I remember the day that I, and I'm serious. I met her. And I said, I'm going to marry her one day. I'm going to marry her one day. Not like I'm some prophet, but I said, I'm going to marry her. I told everybody I'd see. I'm going to marry Naomi Lechner one day. Lord, did I know what I was asking for? (laughs) 
I'm thankful for her. But it was during this time at Crossway Baptist Church that Pastor Paul Schaefer uh, delivered a missions message and that Cody Brandt told us a story about his missionary experience. And I won't go into all of it. Um, but it was at that moment I crawled. I say I crawled, but I, I walked up to the invitation steps of the altar and I, and I surrendered my life to missions, Lord. Much like her daddy says, anything, anytime, anywhere, send me, Lord. Send me, here I am, use me. And that's what solidified me and my wife getting married. And like I said, I knew that I'd married her. I would marry her. I was actually fixing a fence for my cows that we brought up from Salem, Missouri. And, uh, and I was putting this fence up. It was so, so cold outside, like bone chilling cold. And she come outside of her Uncle Mike's house with this cup of coffee. And she brought it to me and I was freezing to death. And she said, with one little foot up. And I'll never forget it. She smiled at me. And uh, I told her that I was called to missions, right? And she said, we could get married. She was kidding, but I ran with that sucker, man. And, <laughs> And uh, we got married. I married my best friend of September 14th, 2020, right? Um, and like I said, you know, w- w- what have I done to deserve her? You know, what have I done to deserve love like this? I don't deserve it. I can remember praying for you before I even knew your name. It's not always easy. And, you know, and, and my own sin began to work against us as we weren't necessarily perfect before we got married. We fell, sh- we, we sinned. I'm, I'm not going to say it lightly. We sinned. We slept together before we were married. My own sin began to work against us in the first few months of our marriage. It was pretty hard for me. Um, and I had to, and I was cutting firewood in the woods one day with my friend Eric Feesby. And he, he asked me what was wrong with me. And I told him and what I'd done before we got married. And I was living this big lie. And he said, you need to go home and apologize to her when, when your heart's right. And I did. And things slowly, surely got better. And this is when I learned, uh, I learned, I learned something in ethics this semester at, at, in school. Uh, that word, to leave and to cleave in Genesis. You know, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and his father and be joined together. With that joined, that bond, that same word for joined or bond is used in the same context. And, and Job 41, when he talks about the Leviathan, his scales are so closely woven together. They're so closely bound together that no air can pass between them. And I was opening it wide up and I let a whole lot of air between me and my wife. And it was in the form of sin. So, we, so I had to come to a point that I let no air get between us. Uh, we became pregnant for our first time, and at seven weeks, we went to uh, we went to the doctor, and they couldn't find in a heartbeat. Uh, she had miscarried, but it brought us very, very close together during this time. It was super hard for us, and I remember this song by Elias Drummer called "Jesus." It's called "Enough." You know, you'll have to listen to Elias Drummer. I can't do it no justice. But this song and the promise that, that, that God would take care of us, the promise that God is all that we need, that Jesus is everything that we would need, got us through this. And I can remember sitting with her and, and her saying these words that, man, they get me sometimes. She says, sometimes, she said, I know that marriage is supposed to be 100 and 100, but sometimes I feel like you're falling all the way. And I'm like, honestly, I'm like, thank you. That I can be the man that I need to be for her right now. Because I know where I'd be in the past. When times would, when, when trouble would come. When the waves would swell up. I would run away. And I'd leave her stranded somewhere. For her to say that. She doesn't know that. But I keep that. She does now. But I keep that sometimes to push me on. No matter what. All we need is Jesus. Jesus you are enough. Right? So today God's been gracious to me. And I'm, I'm closing up. I'll hurry up as fast as I can. Okay. He's been gracious to me. We'll have a son that's going to be born in July now here in just a few months, right? He, amen. He's broken the chains of divorce in my life, right? Divorce is not, it's not a word that we use in our vocabulary in our home. It's not going to happen. My boy will not be looking out the window at me and his mama fighting in the street. It's not going to happen. It's not even an option. 
Where are we at now? God called us to be church planters to Omaha, Nebraska. And our, and our mission statement is, is found right there in the beautiful book of Romans, chapter 10. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and good things. We want to have beautiful feet for the gospel, right? So today I'm at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm getting my MDiv. And Naomi's at uh, uh, Baptist Bible College for biblical counseling. Uh, we work for the Heartland Church Network in Omaha, Nebraska. We plant for them and also for the North American Mission Board through the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we're, I'm a pastor at Waymaker Baptist Church. Naomi serves uh, in so many areas there as child care and secretary for Rick. And we, know that's, we all know that's a full-time job if you know Rick, right? But that's my story so far, right? And he's still writing the pages. He's still writing the pages. I've been clean for four years this month, free from prison for three years in June, free from parole and probation. Uh, I've been married for two years in September. I'm starting to write a book. So whenever that comes out, would you guys please check that out, right? I'm happy and I'm free. I'm happy. I'm free. So how can you pray for us? Uh, man, we got a house. and We only have our house for about eight more months, right? And so we have to transition it's hard for us to get a house as church planners. We don't make enough money, right? So they look at it and it's, uh, I mean, we make, God provides exactly what we need, but on paper, it doesn't look like enough. So the bank don't want to mess with you as you're a pastor or a church planner. So it's hard. So pray that God would supernaturally open a door uh, for somebody to either give up a house or for us to be able to sign and get a house. You know what I'm saying? Um, and you can pray for our church plan as we look at our next steps as, as how we proceed with Waymaker and for our baby boy and for my wife as, um, as he's breached right now and he's being a real pain in the butt and he's stubborn and he needs to flip around, right? We're, we're like 31 weeks. Come on, son, get over it. You can hear me now. You got ears today, so listen to me. So I want to drop back to this. What's your story? If I gave you a pen and a paper and you started to write right now, what would you write down? I challenge you, write it all down. Get it all out there. Be transparent with the Lord. And then sit there and say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. And write it down some more. Get it out there in the open. Write your story. God has given you a story for a reason. I want to ask you this. Where do you stand with God? That day that we were talking about, when, 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 when Jesus ushers in a new heaven and a new earth, when there's no need for a sun, when there's no need for a lamp, when there's no need for a flashlight, and the radiant glory of Jesus Christ shines all of heaven, where are you going to be? Are you going to be there? Where do you stand with God? And I want you guys to know this. My job would not be done if I didn't get to say the most glorious message in all of creation. Jesus Christ stepped down off of his throne, right? Born of a virgin. Stepped down from his throne. A king, born as a baby. Born of a virgin. Lived a perfect, sinless life. And he died on the cross for you and for me. He took every beating and blow and whip and the crown of thorns that was pressed on his head and every drop of blood and every one of those huge nails through his hands and through his feet. Every lashing, the spear in his side, he took it for you and for me. He took names to that cross. He knew who he would die for. Sinners, right? He was laid in a borrowed tomb. He didn't stay there for very long, right? Because after three days, what happened to Jesus Christ? He rose again from the grave, right? Where'd he go? He taught, he appeared, he made many a witnesses. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back. So when the roll is called up yonder, will you be there? Ask yourselves that. Let me pray. So Lord, we thank you so much for your love and for your mercy and for your grace. For Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The one who is and is.
and we'll come, Lord. And we, we just praise that, God, you would um, show up here in this place tonight, that you would move in hearts. God, and even maybe tonight as they go home and they think about um, the story that you gave me, that they think about the gospel message that was presented, I pray, God, that you would convict hearts and open eyes and ears to... to um, to respond to what you're pressing on their hearts, Lord. So I pray that people in this room tonight would write their story. They would begin to get real with their sin and the sin that has been committed against them and that they committed to others, Lord, and to ultimately you, to get free from these things and to forgive, to be a living, walking, talking testimony of 490 times. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>